Broadcasting live from the RNR studios in Las Vegas, Nevada. It's the premier destination for an inside look into the Las Vegas Raiders. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor. Presented by Tequila Embajador. What's good, Raider Nation? Welcome back to Raider Nation Radio 920 AM. It is a Monday. We're a day closer to the NFL draft. You're in the huddle with Vinny Monsignor, brought to you by Tequila Embajador. We want your calls, 702-365, or excuse me, 702-365-9200. Uh, talking Raiders adding a new cornerback. We'll get to that in just a second. Uh, what would you do with that 17th pick overall? Best defensive player available, uh, depending on who is there at number 17. Worry about the tackle and safety in rounds two and three. Would you... And I'm putting this out to Twitter right now. Would you trade up? I'm uh, hearing uh, things that um, maybe the Detroit Lions at number seven might be open for business, might not take a groundbreaking uh, offer to, to move up uh, into that world. Uh, if you're a Raider fan, would you give up this year's first round pick number 17? Let's say a third or fourth rounder this year. Uh, and maybe next year's first round pick to get to number seven and try to go get a Micah Parsons uh, just to uh, solidify that you can uh, get a player of that caliber without waiting for a potential fall uh, to number 17. So I'm throwing that out there uh, to Raider fans. Uh, would you make a move like that? Uh, this year's first, number 17. Uh a fourth or third round pick this year. Uh, and remember, the Raiders have two third round picks this year. And next year's first round pick to move up to number seven uh, to go get a Micah Parsons uh, if he's available. Why would the Detroit Lions do that? I'm thinking, you know, based on, you know, what they were able to get uh, for for in the trade for Matthew Stafford this year, some other moves that they might be making. Um, they have a long-range plan, and uh, I, I think they're trying to load up not just for today to make a quick turnaround. I think Brad Holmes, the new general manager, uh, covered him when he was with the Los Angeles Rams. I think he's thinking long-term and trying to add as much, uh, as many draft picks as he possibly can and as much uh, draft capital as he can possibly, possibly can over these next few years. Remember, um, if he... If they were to put, make a trade like that for the Raiders' first-round pick next year, I think that would give them at least, that I know of, three first-round picks uh, next year, including their own, the Rams' pick that they got for Matthew Stafford, and uh, the Raiders' pick, let's just say, you know, for sake of argument, that that trade went down. And in the following year, they would also have the Rams' first-round pick as well. So, um, you know, uh, they're looking at this from a long-range perspective. Maybe at number seven, they're thinking, you know what? There's not, for us, for our situation, maybe not, um, you know, the, the game-changer or game-alterer that, that, you know, we'd like at number seven to change this whole thing uh, or put us on a fast track. Uh, maybe what they're thinking is slower, more methodical, more patient, getting as many draft picks as possible to create as much flexibility as possible, um, and you know, in in order to to solidify and and build for the future. But if you're the Raiders, that's the bigger question: Would you trade number seventeen? Would you trade a third or fourth round pick? Remember, the Raiders have two third round picks this year and next year's number one uh, in order to go get a Micah Parsons or guarantee that you're going to get a Micah Parsons. Call us up or give us a call, 702-365-9200. Uh, the Raiders did make a move today. Kind of an interesting move, and I don't think it's uh, I don't think it's an insignificant move. Let's put it that way. Uh, I don't think that 
you know, they, they didn't just turn their defense around by any stretch of the imagination, but they did go uh, sign Rasul Douglas, uh, former third-round pick in 2017 by the Philadelphia Eagles, played last year uh, with the Carolina Panthers. We saw uh, Douglas last year play against the Raiders, make a couple of plays, actually, against the Raiders. Had a decent year last year. In fact, based on his grading uh, by Pro Football uh, Focus, he would have graded out as the best cornerback for the Raiders uh, last year. So had a really fast start to last year, uh, played fairly solid throughout the year. There were two blatantly bad games that he had. Uh, week, I think it was week 10 um, against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and then week 14, I believe it was, against the Denver Broncos, where uh, his grades were in the 20s on pass coverage grade. Uh, if you, you know, uh, on a scale of 1 to 100, he was in the 20s in both of those games, so had a rough couple of games. But other than that, if you look at his pass coverage grades throughout uh, the remaining games that he played in, and he played in uh, all 16 games last year, uh, started 11, I think it was. Uh, you know, you're looking at 83s, high 60s, in the 70s for his pass coverage grade throughout the season. So you throw out those two games. I know you can't necessarily throw them out. It all accounts uh, as part of the grade. Uh, but you know, other than two struggles, and guys are going to struggle from now, you know now now and again. Uh, he was a, a pretty darn good football player last year uh, with the Carolina Panthers and certainly would have graded out as the best cornerback uh, for the Raiders. Now, the Raiders want to cha- change that narrative with their two starters, whoever that turns out to be, whether it's Trayvon Mullen and Damon Arnett, or maybe uh, Douglas comes in and pushes Damon Arnett. Maybe da- maybe Damon Arnett, uh, as a result, gets uh, slid over uh, into the slot where he has played uh, slot cornerback. I went back in... Um, you know, uh, Arnett's career at Ohio State, he played plenty of snaps uh, in the slot. And he's kind of built like a guy that you can project as somebody that can that can defend uh, at that at that position. And it's a critical position. Uh, you know, it's not a demotion if he has to move uh, into the slot. And let's keep in mind, you know, you're, you're nobody plays in their base defense 100 percent of the time uh, anymore. In fact, uh, they're usually in their uh, pass coverage packages way more often than they are in their, in, you know, uh, when they're playing with just two cornerbacks and two safeties. That rarely happens uh, anymore these days. So if a, um, if, and I'm not saying this is going to happen, but if uh, Rasul Douglas comes in and and beats out a, a Damon Arnett and moves him to the inside, and 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 Arnett is good at that position, it only strengthens the entire. Uh, backfield for uh, the Raiders. So uh, there you have it. The Raiders uh, have brought in a um, uh, a a cornerback for uh, whether it's to compete for a starting job or at the very least be a very strong candidate as a reserve cornerback. And that's something the Raiders obviously struggled with uh, all last year. We're going to go out to the Raider Nation listener line because Tevin is on line one. Tevin, how you doing, man? Hey, how you doing today, Vinny? Doing really good. Thank you, brother. Uh, quick question. Uh, how do you feel about the Raiders going to get Michael Parsons? Do you think he'll slip to the 17th pick? Um, I mean, I, I've seen plenty of mocks, and that's all we can really go on, um, That where he does fall to 17. But here's my question. If 
if you're the Raiders and you're sold on Michael Parsons and and they are uh, in on Micah Parsons. They like Micah Parsons a lot. Uh, he's one of the few game-changing kind of linebackers or defensive players in this draft. And we all know the Raiders need a playmaking, game-changing, somebody that you have to account for on defense type of a player. So if your heart is set on a Micah Parsons, uh, do you wait for him to fall? Or do you get aggressive and move up and make sure that you don't have to even worry about that. You just go get your dude, uh, you know, even if it, even if it means giving up a future first round pick uh, and maybe a third or fourth round pick uh, uh, this year. Now I threw this out on Twitter and I'll ask you, uh, would you be okay with trading number 17 next year's number one? And maybe one of the number, th- you know, the Raiders have two th- third round picks this year, maybe one of the third round picks or a fourth round pick to move up to number seven, let's say, uh, to get to make sure that you get a Michael Parsons? Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, he's a generational talent. You know, I've been watching, you know, some of his highlights, some of his games. And he's a, like how you said, man, he's a real game changer. And that's exactly what the Raiders needed. Ever since uh, Khalil, ever since they got rid of Khalil Mack, the defense really hasn't been the same, from my opinion. Okay, let's just say you stay pat at number 17, right? Uh, and let's say Micah Parsons gets drafted prior to number 17. What if Jeremiah Owusu Koromara is there at number 17? He's, a, he's, he's just like a nudge behind Parsons. Uh, played last year, so we have current film uh, of, of, of Jeremiah. Played at a really high level. I think it was the Buckus Award winner, the ACC Defensive Player of the Year, and that's a fantastic conference. We all know that. Um, would you, if, if it short of Micah being there, uh, would you take the linebacker from Notre Dame? Um, yeah, I like him too, but, uh, I like, it was either Michael, for me, it'll either be Micah Parsons or the, uh, man, I, I really like that. If they were going to trade up, I'll get the DB from, uh, Alabama, man, uh, Patrick Sertan. Uh, right. Man. I love his game too. If they would trade up, I would definitely try to go get a go get him. Well, uh, we'll see. I, I do know, and what I'm hearing, um, the Detroit Lions are, are open for business potentially at number 17. Uh, from what I'm hearing, I don't think it's going to take a groundbreaking, uh, oh my gosh, uh, generational type haul uh, to move up uh, from even number 17 to number seven. Uh, you know, like I said. Um, Ballpark figures, from what I'm hearing, potentially, uh, is this year's number one, next year's number one, and a mid-level pick this year. Maybe a third, one of the third-round picks, maybe a fourth-round pick. Uh, And, you know, under that scenario, if the Raiders were to trade up, they would still be, because the bulk of the get-back would be next year's first-round pick, um, you would still, if you're the Raiders have your second and third round pick uh, in place to now go address tackle, to go address safety. Uh, you know, um, with that second round pick, you know, if you're talking about a safety, Richie Grant from the University of Central Florida uh, is expected to be there right in and around that 48th pick. Uh, Jevin Holland from Oregon uh, is expected to be right there in that 48th pick. Uh, Andre Cisco from Syracuse, who I like a lot. There's some... There's some red flags about Andre's game. Um, he can be a little bit over aggressive. He's sometimes poor in, uh, in 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 tackle 
angles that he takes, but the dude can make plays. The guy is an interception machine. He just has a knack for going and making plays. And uh, to me, it kind of reminds me a little bit uh, of of uh, Honey Badger, right. uh, with what you know, what, what with what he was doing at LSU. I know there were concerns about Honey Badger, uh, you know, coming out of college. And I'm not talking about the off field stuff. I'm talking more about you know where he fit in the scheme of things. And you look at him now, and he's been a tremendous player, a contributor to a Super Bowl team, a, a, a guy that changes things and uh yeah you know there were some things that you had to coach up uh w- with him but he's been a solid player now and and a, and a guy that makes things happen so yes are there concerns uh about uh an, an andre cisco yeah there are but if 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 you're the raiders and you can trade up to go get a michael parsons Draft maybe your tackle at number two with the 48th pick, and then a guy like Andre Cisco could be there in the third round for you. Uh, would you? I mean, Micah Parsons, your your starting tackle for for next year, and Andre Cisco within your first three picks of the draft. I'm pretty sure yeah. most Raider fans would be cool with that. Um, but yeah. we'll see. I'm, I'm I'm throwing it out to you guys. Seven zero two three six five ninety two hundred. Let me know what you think. Uh, we're gonna go back out to the Raider Nation listener line. Madro uh, is on. Uh, wants to talk about the Raiders. How you doing, my man? How you doing today? Really good, thank you. You know what? Um, and I don't know that I've heard many people talk about this because everybody seems to think there's really glaring weaknesses with this team. But I'm one of the few, I guess, that think that you know, sticking with the plan, and I do mean. Mayock and Gruden apparently have been picking, you know, big school, high character guys um, who are very consistent in their play. And they have filled, especially this year, a whole lot of holes. And there's going to be a lot of competition in camp. And I think for the first time in many years that we can actually sit at 17 and for the first time in ever pick the best available player on our board when it's our turn. Um, because after that, if it's not an offensive lineman, for example, there's going to be plenty of those in the second round. Um, linebackers, hopefully, the ones we've got, including Corey Littleton, will be much better this year, much better uh, scheme. And I just think that we sit there and not give up any more capital because – this team is literally on the verge. And like I said, I might be one of the few that believe this, but we're pretty loaded in a lot of places. And even the ones that we appear to be weak, we're much better right now than we have been. And so I would just stick around, see what happens at 17 and see who's there. I agree with you, uh, with the entire premise. I think that this talent, I think there's more talent on this defense uh, than people assume. And, I, I think mostly it's an assumption because the results haven't been there. But there's a lot of reasons why, and, and all I could go on is most recent. And most recent was last year. Uh, and, and there were some extenuating circumstances. There, were a, there was a lot of youth uh, on that defense. There were a lot of newcomers on that defense. I don't frankly think... The defensive voice last year uh, was getting across, and I don't think that 
what he was doing schematically necessarily uh, was was the right fit for 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 some of these young players. There, so there's this whole combination of things uh, that conspired against the Raiders that didn't necessarily have to do strictly with talent. Okay, so I'm with you. I think there's players, many more players across the board that have talent, that have promise, that have the potential to be productive and good defensive players. But I'm going to push back just one second with. I'm gonna I'm gonna counter argument here, um, for for one second though. Okay, Madro, don't don't you think that having said that, knowing that there is actually a lot of holes are 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 filled with with good capable players, guys that have a chance to be you know even better than that. Okay, isn't this the time maybe where you get a little bold and go get a? I mean, I know that. Price comes into play as far as you don't want to give up too much. I get that. The price has to be right. No question about it. But if the price is right and it's within reason, isn't this now the time to get bold and bring in now somebody that could be a difference maker on an otherwise pretty solid defense? You have good, solid players on this defense and guys like Ngakwe, guys like uh, Clee Farrell and Max Crosby and Corey Littleton and Nick Kwiatkowski and uh, you know, we'll see what happens with the two cornerbacks. We'll see who ends up, you know, playing safety. We'll see if Jonathan Abram is, uh, is is ready to take a step forward. Even if he isn't, you have a guy like Carl Joseph, I think, who can hold it down uh, for a little while. But isn't this the time now where to think more boldly to go get somebody that can okay. make a difference? You know, actually, um, I, I've looked at a lot of Micah Parsons online. I mean, a lot of the film. And he's pretty amazing. Um, but once again, I, I mean, I know we're in Las Vegas, but even though he can be such a game changer, do you move up? And that, that part doesn't bother me, by the way, moving up, because in my theory, next year's first, if you have to give it up, is going to be in the late 20s, if not later. And so you're not going to be giving up a really high first. You're going to be giving up a low first. But once again, Micah Parsons, there are issues with him. We have been trying to accumulate high standard, high character players. And can we afford to gamble, not so much on the football part of it, but putting a possible distraction back into the locker room? Well, and and that's a great point. That that's that's part of the unknown. That, that that that's the one. And I always use that caveat. We don't know what the information is out there on Michael Parsons. Unfortunately, if we knew, yeah. then you and I could sit there uh, and and have a much better understanding and a much clearer, uh, you know, whether you want to call it confidence um, or conviction to move up or not or whatever. You'd have a clearer picture of the entire situation. Madro, you know I always appreciate the calls. Uh, keep them coming. Uh, don't be a stranger. Uh, love talking ball with you. Uh, Going to go back uh, out to the Raider Nation listener you, line. You got it, brother. Uh, Danny uh, wants to talk about the Raiders. How you doing, Danny? Hey, pretty good. How you doing, Vinny? Doing very good, thank you. So, uh, as far as the moving up in the draft, uh, I wouldn't. Well, there's only one player that I actually would do it. It's a combination of uh, overall need, probably the best player at his position, and also, um, well, it's the, actually it's the kid out of, uh, out of, of Oregon, the, the offensive tackle. Penisul, yes. Yeah, yeah. so he's probably the only one because 
to Michael Parsons, he might he might actually fall to us. So why he, why move up for him? Well, we know for sure uh, that that the tackle from Morgan, he's not going to fall to us. But no, probably, uh, the, the Oregon guy is not going to fall. Micah Parsons sure. could fall, but you know, I I, I I don't know that that's a guarantee. And I'm going to tell you guys a quick story. Back in the day, uh, I used to work for the Los Angeles Lakers. I, I worked in public relations for the Los Angeles Lakers. And it's draft day, 1988. And the Lakers had the 25th pick overall, and they were convinced uh, that Brian Shaw, a guard from uh, the University of California, Santa Barbara, was going to be there at number 25. In fact, I want to say that they almost had – he might have been – in the building or near somewhere near, uh, you know, to quickly do a, a press conference and all that uh, good stuff. Um, and so they're waiting at number 25. They, 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 they don't think there's any chance that he's going to get taken uh, before their draft pick comes up. Lo and behold, the Boston Celtics drafting number 24. Number 24, the pick right before the Lakers, stuck it to the Lakers and drafted Brian Shaw. And the, end, the, the Lakers ended up drafting... David Rivers uh, from Notre Dame. The rest is obviously history, and I've always remembered that because you just can't assume, and I, and and you can't assume that the guy is going to be there. Now, if it's now, uh, you know, if it's if it's concerns over character that you wouldn't trade up for him, if you just don't like him as a player, um, I, I I completely get that. But I guess my question is, if you're sold on him, and I think the Raiders, I think there's a uh, a, a, a a like for Micah Parsons. Let's put it that way. Uh, within the Raiders uh, building, but if it's and if it's so compelling and, and and he's such a compelling player for you, the Raiders, that you think that hey, this is a guy that uh, is going to be kind of a missing piece type of a guy, somebody that is going to put the fear of you know what into opposing offenses, uh, opposing defensive coordinators. They're going to have to account for him. They're going to be able to use him strategically with Gus Bradley in a way that can put him all over the field. Uh, and utilize his pass rushing skills, his run stopping skills, his uh, pass coverage uh, skills. If if you feel like he's a guy that's going to be able to step in day one and be a game changer, uh, I I just think that if the cost isn't prohibitive, and to me, next year's number one and a mid rounder this year, maybe one of the thirds or the fourth, isn't prohibitive uh, to move up to number well, seven. And I always go back to this. You know, the Los Angeles Rams haven't had a first-round pick since 2016, and they're not going to have a first-round pick unless they trade up to go get one in the next few years until 2024. It hasn't hurt them not having first-round picks. They go and get bold and trade first-round picks to go get players that are going to be difference-makers for them, Jalen Ramsey, um, you know, guy, Matthew Stafford, obviously, uh, um, Brandon uh, Cooks, the wide receiver. They're not afraid to use that first-round pick to go get somebody that they feel is going to make a difference, like a, almost a guaranteed difference. Um, and well, and let me, so, let me, let go me ahead. Say, let, me, let me say something. So, so let me ask you a question. If let's say they did move up to, to number seven, and you have Michael Parsons and and the kid from 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 Oregon, who would you draft then? If it was Sewell or Micah at number seven, yeah. Or wherever like that, ooh man, probably Sewell. I think I would take Sewell uh, yeah, at that so point that. because I think he is just a generational uh, talent. But the you know the, the the funny thing is, and I appreciate the call, brother. The funny thing is, you'd have to play him at right tackle, and you'd almost be wasting him at right tackle because he's really a foundational left tackle. Unless you want to move Colton 
over to right tackle, which I don't think is is, is going to happen. But uh, but yeah, I mean, I think Sewell is that good. I don't think he'll be there at seven, but man, uh, he is really good. Really quickly, we're going to go to Manny. Uh, wants to talk about the Raiders. How you doing, Manny? Good, Vinny. How you doing? Doing really good, thank you. Hey, uh, and just talking about uh, moving up. Uh, the guy earlier mentioned, you know, he's kind of. I feel like he, you know, he was gonna. We're gonna have a late round next year if we move up. But I kind of feel we should just kind of see how the board falls. I love Michael Parsons. Um, if he falls, I think that's who we get, no doubt. But I don't think he's gonna be there after the Broncos, unless they're going unless they're going quarterback. But uh, I say just let the board fall. If he's there, obviously, no doubt, take him. And if we, and if he's not there, take the guy from uh, Notre Dame. And then I kind of so, feel like we could go trade back into the first round for the TCU safety. And that's kind of how I feel. Just trying to trade back into the first and get that that TCU safety. That's very interesting. Would you give up number? Would you give up? Would you give up um, next year's number one to go? get into the first round again? Would you do something like that? I don't know if it would be required, but it might, you know. Um, it depends, but maybe packaging the two-thirds, you know, if we're not too far, trying to get back into the late round, at least past maybe, you know, right before Jacksonville, in my opinion. I think they might be looking at a safety after they pick, uh, you know, the quarterback, but... Yeah, it would be it would be interesting. Now, I'm definitely not ruling out um, moving back up into that first round or using the two thirds to move back up into the second round a little bit higher. So uh, we'll see. There's a lot of options, but I think um, the good news for the Raiders is by doing what they've done this off season. Uh, and yes, there's a there's a quote unquote big hole at free safety. Yes, there's a big hole at right tackle, but there's available talent. Uh, in this draft to fill both of those needs into, I would say, like the third round. I think you can get starter caliber players at both of those positions in the third round, which allows you to be even more flexible with that first round pick to go get the best defensive player uh, available. Like you said, Michael Parsons might be there at number seven, at 17. Uh, I do like Jeremiah Awusu Koromara from Notre Dame. I've been watching a lot of film of him. Uh, this weekend, and that dude is a playmaker in his own right. We'll talk about him uh, when we get back. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor, brought to you by Tequila Embajador. Interact with the show. Text Vinny at 69187 or tweet at him at Vinny Bonsignor. This is In the Huddle with Raiders beat writer Vinny Bonsignor on Raider Nation Radio 920 AM. What's good, what's good, what's good, Raider Nation? Uh, I don't know if you uh, were, um, you know, kind of under a rock all day today, or uh, maybe you were just out of the loop, uh, but that's what we're here for. Uh, Just in case that is the situation, uh, we're here for you to uh, keep you all updated. Uh, But the Raiders did address uh, cornerback today. I know uh, a lot of people have been asking me and DMing me and emailing me, what are they going to do with cornerback? Are they going to bring in... A, uh, a veteran cornerback. Well, uh, they, they made a move today. Uh, I don't think anyone saw this one coming necessarily. No, it's not Richard Sherman. Uh, get asked about that quite a bit. I think Richard Sherman, even Richard Sherman said this, uh, is probably not going to be uh, a transaction that you're going to see wherever wherever he ends up until post-draft. But the Raiders did uh, add Rasul Douglas from the Carolina Panthers. Uh, pretty solid move today. And, you know, this doesn't say much, but would have graded out as the best cornerback 
uh, on the Raiders last year. That obviously isn't saying much, and it's probably kind of an indictment more than anything. But he would uh, have graded out uh, better than any of the cornerbacks that the Raiders had on their roster. So there's that. We'll see if he competes for a starting job uh, or just as a reserve. But it's definitely a, a move that makes their uh, secondary a little bit stronger today than it was uh, yesterday. We're going to go out to the Raider Nation listener in line to uh, bring in our good friend, a uh, longtime friend and a uh, tremendous reporter uh, for ESPN. He covers the Raiders and a lot of other things. Uh, Paul Gutierrez, uh, you can follow him at P. Gutierrez ESPN. Uh, long time no talk. How are you doing, Paul? Good, man. How you been? Uh, happy, uh, I guess, you're getting ready to start the, the draft season officially here in a few weeks. So uh, happy whatever season that would be, right? It's, it's, it's uh, not only that, it's OTA season. Only if you're going to take, yeah, only if you're really going to do it. And if you got a yeah, performance no doubt, no doubt. bonus uh, um, attached to that, then absolutely. Exactly. And I'm sure Paul is in the same exact category that I am. But, you know, things move in kind of cyclically in, in, in an NFL season, the NFL calendar. And right around two weeks from today, let's say, from you know, back, you start thinking, okay, oh, yeah, that's OTA phase one. Phase, what is phase one again? What's phase two again? What's Because it's, first of all, the rules kind of change almost every year. Sure. But it's always like this re- refresher course that we have to take. When are they allowed in the building? When can they get on the field? When are footballs allowed? So it's this whole process. But today, technically started OTAs. Um, the Raiders, as we know, voted last week uh, not to participate in any um, in-person phases of, of, of OTAs. And let's just start there, uh, Paul. I don't think it's a big deal right now because there's really nothing that they're doing on the field anyway with coaches' supervision. So um, sticking just with this phase, uh, do you think there's any uh, ill effects to players not being in the building right now in, in terms of the in-person stuff? Well, it's just a strange situation because you've got a lot of young guys that need that hands-on instruction, right? But then you also got other guys that are reporting because they need to rehab injuries. And they can't do that on their own, so so to speak. They come in the building and get things looked at. And you got the other guys that their attendance is hooked onto some performance uh, bonuses uh, or you know attendance bonuses. Uh, you got the, the the team making its its statement and saying that we're not going to participate in voluntary, but we do realize that some guys have reason to, so they can go ahead and do it. You know, and we're both old enough any to remember the '87 player strike. And I'm not saying this feels like that at all, but it's got the potential where. It's almost like when when those guys started crossing the picket lines and it made it real ugly, and you had Jack Del Rio socking up Otis Taylor, when you were playing for Kansas City, and and you had all that. There's not going to be anything like that. It's just it does have that potential, I think, for guys to look at each other sideways and say, "Wait a minute, you know, you 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 beat me out for this job because you were in the building for an extra two months more than I was, or whatever." But they they've set it up this way. Uh, you know, one of my colleagues, Dan Graziano, he he tweeted, he subtweeted me today, and and said, yeah, there's 203 players in the NFL that are in the same exact situation as Derek Carr, as Darren Waller, as as uh, Denzel Good, as as the the nine Raiders that have uh, uh, bonuses hooked to this, where they've basically negotiated against themselves and negotiated against the union, and that's what the union would like to see this strong stance. But I mean, there's some some good cash that's out there, right, for these guys to have, so. In terms of, of just showing up in the building and getting things done, I mean, it, it's a good faith effort, so to speak, I guess, to the coaching staff and to the and to management and team ownership. But it, it's also, well, then why go through the motions of putting out that statement? And once things do start ramping up with the OTAs and the on-field instruction, that's when it's going to pay a, a huge dividends to pay attention to exactly what that 
friction may or may not be in that locker room. Yeah, no question, and we're going to get to that because to me it's a very important one, uh, especially for the Raiders. Uh, but but going back to you know what Paul was talking about with the bonuses, uh, and and you know people have money coming to them by participating in OTAs. And here's the thing, here's the the next level part of all that. So many times now, in order to navigate and manage the salary cap. Uh, you 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 trade salary for signing bonus money so that it doesn't right. reflect. You know we're getting into the weeds here, but we all know we, we, you and I both know what we're talking about. There, you, you structure your deal, and the team structures that deal. And sometimes they ask you to literally reconstruct your deal in a way that takes down your salary for the for you know the, the number uh, that 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 your salary is going to be for a season, it, and then you know uh, converting some of that money to salary bo- to salary bonuses. In order to again manage the salary cap, well, some of these players—that's exactly like Corey Littleton. I'm assuming some of his money that he's owed is because he's changed up his contract. He he agreed to restructure his contract. He deserves that money, and um, so from that players' union perspective, they need to understand like, hey, uh, you can't deny this guy his money. He's just doing the right thing by his team, you know, to try to help the team. And he has his money coming to him, and he fully agreed to do it. So it's it is kind of Paul a tricky situation for some of these guys. It is, and then when you look at you know, like for for me, we had our, our friends at ESPN Stats and Information dive into the contracts and some of the bigger numbers out there. So Derek Carr gets a hundred thousand uh, dollars workout bonus. Uh, Darren Waller two fifty. Quiet Koski and Littleton both two fifty. Denzel Good, who was just re-signed, four hundred and eighty thousand. Of his, like, what, a million or so that he was something? (laughs) I mean, that just tells you exactly how they, you know, that that's a way that the team gets skirts around the salary cap issues for those those salary cap numbers. But at the same time, these guys are making an agreement to work out on voluntary situations. So are they really voluntary? Are they not? This is something (laughs) that I think is going to come up in the next CBA, definitely. And, uh, you know, like I said, it's very reminiscent of the 87 strike in terms of, um, who's really in charge and who's running the show here and, and, and guys kind of negotiating against themselves. We're talking to Paul Gutierrez from ESPN. Uh, you can follow him at P Gutierrez uh, ESPN. Along those lines, Paul, uh, and you mentioned you know, the on-field stuff where, where coaches and players are allowed to be out there literally practicing, and you got 11-on-11s, you got seven. You have everything that's basically looks like a regular football practice uh, during OTAs, um, and there's a certain amount that you can do. How damaging do you think it would be, or not, um, if the Raiders, for a second straight year, for some of these young guys, aren't going to be able to, aren't going to, you know, as a full team, be out there working out and getting this, what I think is kind of some valuable time uh, at this time of year? Yeah, um, it's one of those questions where you got to look and see what everybody else is doing. At least last year, everybody was in the same boat, so to speak, right? It was the entire yes. league was was virtual. This year, let's say if the Raiders who who need all the time on the field they can get, not only because you got young guys out there, but you've got a new defense. You yep. got Gus Bradley bringing in an entirely new scheme. You've got an offensive line that needs to get out there and, and be with each other to figure each other out because they've they've reshuffled the offensive line. Um, so from that aspect, yeah, they need all the time on the field they can possibly get. And and I've covered the Raiders long enough to know when they used to break rules, they would have an OTA session docked and taken away and they would only have nine ota practices instead of 10 and that was the end of the world at the time so if, if we're, we're comparing it to that let's say the raiders do do an entirely virtual off season with, with none of that off uh, on the field stuff 
well, what if the Chargers? What, what about the Chiefs? What about the Broncos? What if they're all out there on the field? That's where it really hurts you. And again, it all depends upon what the rest of the league is doing. And uh, it looks good when the NFLPA is putting out those statements, but what does it mean when guys are still going to go in and work out? And I'm not casting judgment one way or the other. It's just real interesting that uh, you know they've made all these statements, and then you kind of parse the words, and you kind of dig in there, and you talk to the source. You go, wait a minute, is this? Am I understanding this right? That that these guys actually do have wiggle room to come in if they want. And you're told, yes, that's actually what we did. Okay, well now we know what we're dealing with here. And and even in the building sources I've talked to, it's still the same that they're not entirely sure either exactly what this all means either. Other than there, anybody that shows up is more than welcome, of course, and obviously. Yes, exactly. And the Raiders did. You know, we, we I'm sure we talked to the same type of people. Um, <laughs> it, it was made made clear. You know, like uh, oh, by the way, yeah. Uh, you know, we we already agreed that if somebody needs to go in there for this reason or that reason or whatever any reason, we'll be cool with it. You know, and it and it and it. it I'm sure you've come up with the same conclusion that. This is being driven by somebody beyond the players. There's a lot of players that want to be in there right now for a lot of different reasons. Uh, this is out of their hands. They're between a rock and a hard place, and they're trying to balance own personal journeys and goals and objectives with the collective, what the union wants to do. But along those lines, Paul, bigger picture of all this, um, do you think – where do you stand on how important OTAs are? Before you answer, I'm just going to say this. This is what I'm going to throw out there. Uh, guys like J.C. Treader, I understand what he's doing, the Players Union uh, president, um, and they're probably negotiating for something else. I'm sure they're mad about the 17th game. Whatever, the, whatever it is, I, I just have a hard time with a guy that's used the very steps that he's now um, saying you know, aren't needed yeah, it's easy for you to say that. You, you've already climbed all of those steps to get where you've gotten. Now you're kind of turning around to me anyway and saying to some of these young players, you don't need it. You know, we're going to take it away from you. And, and I mm. think there's something wrong with that, me personally, but I'm going to throw it to you. What do you, what do you think? Yeah, if it's purely a negotiating uh, chip, then, then, then that's not cool because I think these guys can use all the on-field instruction they possibly can. I mean, we're coming off, and we're still in the middle of a once-in-a-hundred-year pandemic, right? Yeah. So any any on-field instruction you could get, you should be able to get. Now, if he's saying that these young guys and we're going to take away all the OTAs for all 32 teams, well, okay, now it's, it's quote-unquote, it's not the, the, the best situation, but at least it's fair because nobody can do it. I think that's, that's where, where you really have to look at it and say, okay, so does somebody get it, gain an advantage by not doing it or does somebody gain an advantage by doing it? You got to have, it's got to be all the way across the board for all 32 teams. And that to me, you know, it kind of goes back to last year with the Raiders and Mark Davis's uh, stance on letting fans in the stands, you know, all or nothing. And it's kind of yep. got to be the same mentality for OTAs, offseason workouts, and all those things. And you only know that Mike Mayock and, and John Gruden are just gritting their teeth into dust right now because of how oh. frustrated they are because they just want to get their hands on these guys and coach them and see exactly if they they fit into their system because after the draft last year, that wasn't really much of a draft to write home about. Again, you got to wait two or three years to fully judge a draft. Um, with that said, the 2018 draft's not looking that good right now either. So it's, it's, um, it, it's tough. And, and if you're going to no- use it as a negotiating chip, that doesn't feel right. But I'll tell you what, that 17th game just, just makes no sense to me whatsoever. Why not go to 18, only have two preseason games? Because that's the one thing, too, that I, I remember when they used to play 14 games. Yep. Um, you know, and at the same time, they were still when they played fourteen regular season games. They were playing six preseason games. 
and they were they're in training camp on the fourth of July. So they've always been playing twenty games in some fashion. I just do not get what seventeen does. And I know you and I have covered enough baseball over the years that the baseball record book is a lot more um, hallowed than the NFL record book. But I mean, you're just thinking about guys like like Eric Dickerson. What's he going to do when somebody rushes for twenty one oh six in seventeen games? You know what I'm saying? He will not be happy. I can tell you that right now. <laughs> exactly. He will not be happy. No matter what he says, he's not going to be happy. Especially if it's done in seventeen. That's the whole right. key to it. If it's done in if it's done, you know, before he got his done, fine. He'll be more than respectful. But if it's seventeen, you will hear an earful from uh, Eric yeah. Dickerson. <laughs> All right, Paul. Uh, we're getting closer to the draft. Um, the Raiders have the seventeenth pick overall. Uh, they have a need at right tackle. They have a, a free safety uh, need. Uh, they've got two picks in the third and pick number forty-eight uh, as well. Any gut feeling on where they go at number seventeen? Do they stick by the book and get the tackle or safety, and then go back, go to the second round, get you know whatever they didn't get in the first, uh, or do you think there's some some surprises that they might have up their sleeve? Yeah, they're in a weird spot at 17 because there's like two surefire tackles, right? But they'll both be gone at 17. So then do you think somebody's still there at 48 that's worthwhile? Or do you try to trade up there if you, if you skip out on that tackle at 17? Uh, I'll tell you what. My gut is telling me they still get the best tackle that's available at 17. But the moves that they've made in the past week with bringing back Carl Joseph to be kind of a veteran guy who knows this team, not necessarily the system, but knows the, knows the team, and then by bringing in Rasul uh, today, that that also is another veteran move that I think you could stomach bringing in another young safety to pair back there with the with these guys, you know, and with the young secondary that's really there. Because to me, if you draft another safety, that that goes against everything you're trying to do. You want some veteran leadership in that secondary with with Jonathan Abram, with Damon Arnett, and, and, and Trayvon Mullen. Um, but you got these two other veteran kind of guys in there, and, and I'm still looking for the Richard Sherman signing, too, at some point. <laughs> I, I think you're okay drafting a, a safety there at 17 now. So I know I kind of danced around and didn't really answer you, but uh, if I had to make my pick right now, I, I might look and see if there's still a, a safety there uh, and bypass the, the tackle with the, with the thought of trading up in the second round to get, get another one of those guys. Yeah, and that's the good thing that's working out for the Raiders right now is that that tackle draft is so deep that you know you're 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 in a good position to get one uh, in that with that second pick. Uh, so no uh, Michael Parsons if he's there. What about the linebacker from Notre Dame, uh, Jeremiah Owusu, uh, uh Koromara? Is either of those two guys a possibility? Uh, you know, if you were in charge. They're, they're playmakers, no doubt, but I also look and see how much money they've invested in the linebacker core right now. And, you know, Corey Littleton was supposed to be the, the crown jewel of the free agent class last year for the Raiders, and maybe all he needed was just a fresh start with, with Gus Bradley coming in. So, um, you know, it just really depends upon how the Raiders are setting their board up. Do they, do they still go for need? Do they go for best player available? And, and I, I'm sure I've told you this story before, but it always goes back to this for me. Uh, years ago, uh, when I first started covering the team, I would talk to Tom Flores uh, about the draft and the things he would do. And, and he said, you know what, if you're drafting early in the draft, you've got like a top five, top ten pick, you don't have the luxury of drafting for need because if you're drafting that high, you've got needs all over the place. You, <laughs> yes. just take who, you just take the best player available at that point. At 17, you're smack dab in the middle of this thing. And yet they do have very real and specific needs. Uh, after what they did to the offensive line, they, got, they need a right tackle. Um, and then in this, they, they definitely need a, a safety too. 
Um, and then they just need playmakers all over the defensive side of the ball. So, again, it depends upon how they set their board up. I, I don't expect Mike Mayock, when we get him um, for his pre-draft availability, to, to give us you know uh, that much of an inside look on their thought process. But it will be easy to try to – or not easy. It'll be interesting to try to decipher and read between the lines as to where they're thinking right now. Are they – you know, does it change? Being in the middle of the first round, does that change – best player or specific need uh, as opposed to drafting, say, in the top 10. And they always tell us best player available all the time, but I don't know uh, how many times that actually does happen. It, it's just so funny how sometimes that best player is always that at a position that you desperately needed as well. So it always works out that way. It always it works like. out there. And that's what always, again, with those conversations I've had with Tom Flores back in the day, was uh, he, the greatest story I ever draft story I ever heard was from him when in 82 – they're they're later in in the uh, they're not a top ten. Oh, gosh, I can't remember the number twelve, thirteen, fourteen. Anyway, and half the room wants a, they need a running back. Half the room wants uh, this big bruiser from Richmond, Barry Redden. The other half wants oh yeah, the Heisman Trophy winner from USC. And uh, Tom Tom tells me they call Al Davis, who's in court in L.A. He goes out <laughs> on a payphone and he tells him, yeah, is that who you want? Fine, draft him. And they draft Marcus <laughs> Allen, and the rest is history. So it's really wow. interesting, again, the way these things go. And, and Marcus wasn't even on the top of their board. They liked um, uh, with the running back from Stanford at the time and another running back from Arizona State. Darren Nelson. Darren Nelson, yes. And then uh, Gerald Riggs, they liked him as well. So Arizona the fact State. that it yep. came down, yeah, the fact that it came down to Marcus Allen and Barry Redden, it, it really is mind-blowing the way these things happen. Sometimes you need to be lucky, and sometimes you needed the boss to be, uh, you know, maybe have his uh, head someplace else, and you know, you, you just do it. I'm busy right now. You just take be care on a, of it. Yeah, so, be on uh, a payphone in LA in LA uh, County Court. Excellent. I remember those days vividly. Uh, Paul, thanks so much for spending some time with us uh, in the huddle. Uh, definitely want to get you back on to uh, to get your uh, impressions of whatever it is that the Raiders did do uh, uh, in the draft. So uh, take care of yourself. Miss you guys. Uh, look forward to seeing you down the road, man. Sounds good, Vinny. Take care. You got it. That's Paul Gutierrez from uh, ESPN. Does a tremendous job uh, covering the Raiders uh, and lots of other things, not just here in Las Vegas, uh, but the Bay Area for years and years. And I knew him back then, back when uh, in Los Angeles as well. So uh, I've been knowing Paul for a long time. Uh, You can follow him at P. Gutierrez ESPN, and I highly suggest that you do. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor, brought to you by Tequila Embajador. You're listening to Raider Nation Radio 920 AM. Now, back to your host, Vinny Bonsignor. What's good, Raider Nation? Welcome back to Raider Nation Radio 920 AM. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor. Real quickly, let's go to Mitch from New Jersey. Uh, talk about the Raiders. How you doing, Mitch? How's it going, Vinny? Um, good show. Thanks for taking my call. You got I, it. I know how far I can um, now I got. I think. Yeah. Well, one thing about these OTAs, you seem like, like oh, we follow USC a lot, and like two or three guys have already lost for the season. You know, ACLs. It's incredible. I wish they kind of cut. It. I mean, the season's long anyway, so low management is going to be a thing for the financial team. NFL too. I agree with you. Uh, what you say with Gutierrez? Um, I guess we need a lineman. I thought we had a great off season. It feels like we, no way we're not going to make the playoffs. But um, like you said, go for offensive linemen. I'd rather go for the safety. And then I know we're good at running back and wide receivers, but I can't just think and wishing 
uh, we can get Michael Carter. I heard he's a third round pick. Yeah, because uh, North Carolina's got some good running backs. I don't think you'd be able to get. I don't think you want to get Williams, Javante Williams. And I keep uh, hopping on uh, Amon Ra, Amon Ra St. Brown. I always the brother of the wide receiver for the Packers. I mean, I know they got to basically stay on offensive line and defense, but I like those two guys um, to be drafted, hopefully. And one more thing: if Carter's have a good year, they're not good quarterbacks come next year. But think about Sam Howell. He kind of reminds me of Patrick Mahomes with Texas uh, Tech and um, J.D. Daniels of Georgia. Uh, thanks for taking my call, Van. And um, you know, good show and have a good. One. You got it. I don't think J. I think J.T.'s still. Um... Yeah, JT is still at Georgia. That would be next year. Um, he's still got some eligibility uh, over uh, at, at, at Georgia. Um, you know, running back, uh, I love the Notre, the uh, North Carolina kids. Um, they, I'll tell you what, you know, uh, I follow Notre Dame football. Uh, I remember watching, where was I? I think it was in Atlanta, uh, watching uh, North Carolina against Notre Dame this year, and Notre Dame won that game. Uh, but North Carolina was good. That was a well-coached football team, and they had two dudes at running back that were just really hard to bring down, just excellent running backs. Um, so, yeah, I just don't – with Kenyon Drake now in the picture uh, and obviously Josh Jacobs uh, in the picture, I don't think that they're going to – I think running back is something that they're going to probably look at if they do far down in the draft or potentially uh, undrafted free agents, I think they're okay at at, at, uh, at running back. Wide receiver, I mean, if there's somebody that's just so compelling um, and you get them under control for the next four years as a third-round pick, because uh, look at you look at some of the wide receivers that the Raiders now have on their roster, a, lot of them, a couple of them at least, uh, are on one-year deals, Willie Sneed um, and, uh, and, 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 and the – wide receiver that they got from the Buffalo Bills. So you have to also look toward the future. You can't just get stuck in, well, you know, got X amount of wide receivers uh, on the roster, so we're good. Uh, well, there's also a season after that and a season after that, too. So uh, do you maybe pull the trigger on a wide receiver at some point um, because of that to, to make sure that you're, you've got a, a, a – uh, plan in place to replace the two guys that you that you signed as free agents this year. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll we'll see, but I think that this is going to be an offensive line draft, and I think it's going to be trying to find a playmaker on defense, uh, a free safety, uh, and and as many good defensive players as they possibly can. Even on that defensive line, uh, outside of Yannick and Gakwe, uh, everybody that they've brought in this year, they're all on one year deals. So. Uh, yes, they've added a lot on the defensive line. Uh, yes, they're probably giving a lot of guys a one-year audition for potential use um, uh, for a, for the I should say the potential of a long-range relationship uh, after this year. But there's no guarantee that that's going to pan out. So you have to also keep an eye on that defensive line. I don't think it's going to be in the first round, uh, but in that third round with two third-round picks. Uh, I could see the Raiders pulling the trigger on a defensive lineman that they're going to be able to develop uh, in the building um, over these next few years and, you know, as replacement for some of these guys that they're signing to one-year deals. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor, brought to you by Tequila Embajador. When we get back, our good friend Sam Gordon from the Las Vegas Review-Journal will join us.